Well, listen, uh, God is good to us, and uh, it is my privilege this morning to sit where you sit and get to soak up God's Word, hearing it preached from uh, someone else. Uh, it's a privilege to welcome Dave Harvey to our church. Dave Harvey is the president of Great Commission Collective. Great Commission Collective, of course, is the organization and network of churches to which we belong for the purpose of planting more churches and strengthening existing leaders in churches. And we're so thankful to God for Dave. Dave has been in this role as president for about four years now, almost exactly four years coming up here. And uh, quite a four years it's been. And I'll tell you, I've learned much from Dave. I, it's been a privilege for me to support Dave and come alongside and work with him and, and all of the rest. And uh, so I have counted that really yet another example of God's goodness in, in my life and in the life of our church. Dave brings a wealth of experience and leadership uh, to us. Uh, Dave is uh, a pastor. He's been in ministry for 37 years. Dave is an author. He's uh, written upwards of a dozen uh, books, as it were. And uh, he's, more importantly, husband to Kim, who has graciously uh, uh, granted him to us for this weekend. And she is in Florida. Uh, uh, a father, Dave, is of four kids and um, just an all-around knowledgeable guy. We've had a great weekend already meeting with him as uh, pastors and directors and elders and just gleaning from his experience and lessons learned and things of that nature. And so it's uh, a real privilege, once again, to welcome Dave Harvey to our church. Let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you, my friend. Good morning. This may sound unusual to you, but I have actually waited several years for this very moment because I have longed to communicate the depth of gratitude that I feel toward God for this local church to this local church. Because you may not be aware of it, but your church has had a profound impact upon the collective that we share together. And, and let me be specific with you about that. <clears throat> because your elders and because you as a church have a, a vision for the kingdom of God, you, you have released Rob to serve not only you, but to serve beyond you. And he serves as the board chair for Great Commission Collective. He serves as a trusted advisor to me and as a, in a number of other roles. He leads cohorts, he does training. And each and every time he does that, he talks about you. He points to you. He illustrates his experience through you and what you're doing here and what God is building in and through you. And so this local church model is impacting churches all over the world. And, and, and I want to be clear about one thing. Rob takes no joy at being away from this local church. There's nothing he wants more than to just be here each and every Sunday morning and dedicate himself whole time, full time to this local church. But but God has called him to do other things. And I want to be the voice of somebody who's kind of out there coming back to you to say, wow, 
Is it making a difference? What I want you to know is there, there is no one that outside of the team that I serve that is more trusted and contributes more value into this collective that we love than, than your senior pastor. And I thank God for him. I thank God for him. And also, I want you to know that your faithful investment in the Great Commission Collective is, is making a huge difference. And here's specifically what I mean. Right now, you are helping to, to fund and send 16 different church planters. Uh, just, just this year, there are nine churches that are being planted in, in Texas and California and Pennsylvania and, and, and Indiana and all over the United States. Internationally, we already have six different church planting networks formed that we're working with, and there's three more that are being added just this year. And that's because you and others like you have a vision to see the gospel go forward beyond you. But we're not just about planting. In fact, you, you might know us well enough to know that we're about planting churches and strengthening leaders as well. So the strengthening leaders means that we care for leaders, that we train elderships in how to understand and grow in their experience of plurality. It means that we've formed partnerships because we believe that, that there's ministries out there that are doing the very things that we want to incorporate into who we are and are probably doing it better than we can do it. And so we form partnerships with ministries like Simeon Trust, who's helping us to develop preaching within GCC, with Parakaleo for our pastor's wives, for, for lead so that we can pour into children's ministry workers. There's about 12 other partnerships that are involved and we're connected with. And, and, and here's what I want you to know about that, that, that because of that, we're, we're, we're caring for, for pastors. We are equipping elders for the kind of complexity that can take place in the context of the church. We're, we're helping leaders last in, in ministry. So we're, we're not a big group. We don't regard ourselves as exceptionally talented, but we are trying to be faithful. And I'm just so grateful that we get to do this in partnership with this local church. So, thank you. I've been asked by Rob to, to share a message that's titled, Faith for Barren Times. And I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. And I'd like to read with you, beginning in verse 18 through verse 21. This is Romans chapter 4. In hope, he, by the way, that's talking about Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, 
since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you now to not only bring us understanding of this passage, but that you would be at work within us, applying it to our lives in ways that unlock an understanding of what it means to trust you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. He had already lived 75 years. That's three quarters of a century. His name, Abram, literally meant exalted father. Kind of stabbing irony for a man with no kids. But he was wealthy, healthy, happy, and surrounded by extended family when one day God God speaks to him and interrupts his existence with an almost incomprehensible command. God says to him, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you and I will make a great nation of you. Imagine that, a great nation, springing from an old man with no kids. How does that work? But the Bible said Abram obeyed. He uprooted his family, which at that time included a nephew, servants, livestock, possessions, and he went forth, as Hebrews chapter 11 records, not knowing where he was going. And as he journeyed, he waited. Each week, each month, he waited. He waited for that promise to be fulfilled. Several years later, God kind of drops by in a vision. Um, Abram is at this point in an anguished state. He's, he's still childless. There's no heir to his promise, to God's promise. And I just imagine Abram saying, great nation, great. Where is this great nation thing you promised? I mean, I, all I have is a nephew, and I don't even like him very much. And where's this great nation? I'd settle for a good neighborhood. I'd settle for some property down in Florida on the beach. But where's the great nation thing? And God took him outside and bid him to look up to the stars and to count the stars And then God spoke these eternal words, so shall your offspring be. And scripture records that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now that's quite a story. And you almost expect it to wrap up there with Abram encountering God in a delightful way and I mean, it's so tight, it's so neat, it's, it just ties a nice bow onto the story. 
But all of that took place before what I like to think of as the long wait. First couple of years weren't so bad, but you know, after seven or eight years, you begin to wonder because memories grow dull. He's thinking, did, did that really happen? Did all that years ago really happen? Did God really speak? I mean, his wife Sarah is still barren. Abram is just aging. At, at year 10, let's just say mistakes were made. His wife Sarah had to know, is it him or is it me? I want to know. So she pushes Hagar on Abram. Abram capitulates. Ishmael is conceived. Arab history begins. And yet Ishmael is not the promised one. Another 14 years pass. God returns. God returns and reaffirms his promise to Abram. In fact, he changes his name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of a multitude. Sarai has been through menopause, and all she has is one child, and that one child is not her child, is not the promised one. How long will they wait? One year later, 25 years after the promise, Isaac is born. Now, that's the story behind Romans chapter 4. In the early chapters of Romans, if we were studying the whole book, we would discover that Paul was building this case for a righteousness that comes through faith alone. And so here in chapter 4, Paul introduces the strongest and most stunning piece of evidence for the position that he's seeking to lay out. He introduces Abraham, the father of, uh, 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 of the Jewish lineage, Abraham, as exhibit A of saving faith. But here's the thing. While chapter 4 is certainly about the faith that saves, chapter 4 is certainly about the faith that justifies, we are also instructed about the nature of faith itself in chapter 4 because the faith that justifies also portrays the faith that pleases God. The faith that justifies also portrays the faith, faith that helps us to persevere during the long waits in our life. And so we need together to dissect Abraham's faith, which is what we're going about to do in three different parts, beginning with part one, believing the promise. Again, verse 18 says, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham had been told something by God. He was told, Abraham, you're going to become a father. You will have a son. And what we learn here from verse 18 is that faith responds by investing trust in God's words and standing on God's promise as if it is a guaranteed future reality. It's a guaranteed reality that we have not yet experienced. Now, 
If your mind works anything like mine, I mean, you're, you're gonna be tempted to say, well, yeah, I mean, I don't have the experiences that Abraham had. I mean, if God came to me in a vision and kind of chatted with me about my future, I think I could believe too. As if true faith might actually rest and be grounded upon a supernatural visitation rather than the word of God. But here's the problem with supernatural visitations is that the memories of them fade. If we learn anything from the Old Testament, it's that memories fade. They faded for Israel. They faded for the kings. They faded for the prophets. They fade. Uh, they fade for you. I know they certainly fade for me. <laughs> I mean, Kim and I are in a, a small group not long ago. Uh, the small group leader spontaneously asked this question uh, because Kim and I were about to celebrate an anniversary. So, Dave, Kim, we know you have an anniversary coming up. Give us a memory from your wedding day. And I'm sitting there, and I immediately begin to think, and I realize, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. And I'm trying to boot up the disc. Memory, okay, wedding day. I know it's in there somewhere. And I'm looking at Kim, and if you're married, you know what I mean, where you kind of look at each other and you kind of coax each other with your eyes. And I'm saying to Kim, you got anything? And she's saying back to me, I got nothing. And I'm saying, this is unbelievable. I got, everybody's looking at me. I'm looking, I'm thinking, memory, wedding day. I know, I'm looking down. I got a ring on my finger. I know I'm married. <laughs> but for some reason, there's a big gap between that day and this moment in the small group. Why? Because memories fade. Here's my point. Abraham didn't stand on the memory of an experience. God spoke and he believed and he drove his stake of confidence right into that place. Now, for us, the promises of God are contained and preserved within the Bible. Listen, if you're not working your Bible, it's impossible to grow in faith. If you're not working your Bible, it's impossible to grow in faith. I think about Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And you've had the same experiences that I've had. You know, we, we see at times these verses where God promises to hear prayer, but sometimes when we pray, the heavens feel like brass. Or, or we read these places in the Bible where God prom makes promises for, for marriage or for children, but, but, but our experience does not yet align with what we're reading in Scripture. And, and we at times feel the, the creep of cynicism collecting within our soul over those experiences. And we think, yeah, I believe that that happened in the Bible. I believe that happened for those people. In fact, I believe that happened for these other people in the church, but that would never happen for me. See, what faith does is faith tells us to let Scripture be louder than those voices in our mind. Let the promises of God speak, and, let, and let's hear them. Because let's be honest, to be alive is to have voices constantly speaking to us. Our fears speak. Our circumstances speak. Our suffering speaks. Our fatigue speaks. But what faith does is faith trusts what God says about the future more than what those voices say in the present. 
Faith trusts what God says about the future more than what those voices say in the present. So the question I need to ask you this morning is, what voices do we listen to the most? Because here's the thing, Abraham had to wrestle through the same thing. In fact, he eventually arrived at this settled conviction that he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he has promised, but he didn't start there. It says he grew strong in his faith. Why? Because God said it. It was God's word and God's word alone. I brought this great great quote with me from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who once wrote, quote, there is always this naked element to faith. It does not ask for proofs. It does not seek them. In a sense, it does not need them. Faith is content with the bare word of God. Every time I read that, it convicts me because I realize there are so many times where I'm not content with the bare word of God. I need to believe the promises. That's part one. Part two is embracing the circumstances. So it moves on. In verse 19, he he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's (laughs) womb. I mean, I'm, I'm chuckling about this because I just love how how this description links faith to reality. In other words, here's Abraham, and he's kind of taking stock of his life, and, and he's honestly assessing the situation. It's bad. There's, there's no denial. There's no dumping the evidence. There's no spin. There's no attempt to avoid the raw truth because the raw truth might reinforce negative thoughts. I mean, you've, you've seen this as well as I have. There is a body of, of faith teaching that exists that, that says that voicing the reality of a situation can actually be empowering the problem. It can be emboldening the enemy, and honestly, it makes Christians appear, well, I mean, how can I say this delicately, like lunatics. It makes us appear like like. No. <laughs> No, I, I, I don't have an ulcer. I just appear to be coughing up blood here. You know, we, we have the, these things that we do where we deny reality in the name of faith. And yet verse 19 springs up in front of us. And it says, it's so refreshing. I mean, here's Abraham and he's considering his circumstances. He's considering the reality and the results ain't pretty. Abraham says, I, I look in the mirror at my body and I'm as good as dead. Now, because he's a guy, he's saying it's a very hip, very cool kind of dead, you know, better than any other 100-year-old kind of dead. But it's dead. I look at my wife, Sarah, and, and, and she's ba- I love her. She's gorgeous, but she's barren. She's beautiful, but she's beautiful and barren. See, don't miss what this what this portion of scripture is meant to communicate. This is what it's meant to communicate. You look at Abraham, it's impossible. You look at Sarah, it's incomprehensible. Everywhere you look is dead. There's no seed, no hope, no way, no life. 
The circumstances have come together and they've returned almost as a a jury and the verdict has been rendered over the situation and this is the verdict, impossible. Do you know what this means for your situation? You know, the Spirit of God is at work right now and there are situations in your mind that are popping up. I want you to begin to think about what this means for your situation, because here's what's meant to be communicated through this passage. Abraham believed when there was no life. There was no life. Do you have any areas where you are burdened by an absence of life? where when you honestly look at the circumstances and you honestly face the reality, you realize, yeah, honestly, it just reveals barrenness. I mean, you've been praying for this person for years, and and you love this person, and yet when you're honest, when you're honestly assessing the reality of the situation, there's no change, no interest, no life. Or you bear this affliction, this this weakness, this sickness, and you honestly assess where you are relative to where you were, and there's no healing, no strength, no change, no life. Or you look at your child, or your adult child, and you think they have been given so much by God, and yet have borne so little fruit for God, There's no zeal, no heart, no interest, no life. All around me is barrenness. Who can relate to that? God says, Abraham can relate to that. And not just for a short season. You know, you're in ministry for long, and I've been in ministry for 37 years. You get a sense in just talking, meeting with people, loving people that Trials tend to cluster two, three-year periods, and, and, and then people move on, people move 25 years. In fact, God intentionally waited until, you know, in the natural, it was too late. Because think about what's being said here. I mean, the problem is not just her barrenness. It's Abraham's age. It's not just the absence of life, but it's... It's the utter inability to produce life. Now, I'm determined to keep this message at a rated PG level. But let me just say that part of what's being communicated here is that um, Abraham and Sarah's date nights did not end the way their date nights used to end. His body, as good as dead. Her condition barren. It's all there intentionally. That's why the section starts in verse 18. In hope, they believed against hope. Because God brought them to a place where it was evident to them and everyone else, hey, whatever takes place here, it's way beyond man. This is way beyond man. The best leadership, the best thinking, the best technology could not spark change in this situation If there was going to be anything that happened, if there was going to be any change, if any alteration was going to take place, it had to be something outside. It had to be some kind of outside supernatural intervention. It had to come from God and God alone. And so he believed 
the promise. He embraced the circumstances. And then finally, he sustained the trust. So verse 20 talks a little bit more about how that transformation took place. Let's check check this out. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Abraham believed long before his circumstances changed. In other words, this story is about an individual that met God in the barrenness of their experience. And this is, I want to be honest with you, this is just so provoking to me. Because so often my my faith sparks when I see some kind of hopeful sign in the situation that I'm praying about. And you know what I mean by that. You know, we're, 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 we're struggling with unbelief about some situation, and then suddenly we see some small change. You know, the loved one that we've been praying for, maybe one day out of the blue they text, will you please pray for me? We're like, God is at work. This is amazing. There is a real God. He's at work. This this is incredible because the circumstances appear to be changing because the trigger for our faith is perceived change and not the promise of God. And yet, this this was Abraham's path through barrenness. It says, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So here we have a guy, situation isn't changing, circumstances aren't changing, and he's learning to give glory to God. I want to be like that. He's learning to give glory to God. How did he grow strong? He gave glory to God, fully convinced that God would be able to do what he had promised. He grew strong that way. His growth is specifically linked to seeing the promises of God, believing the promises of God, and glorifying God in the moment, even though the circumstances didn't change. And the result was, yes, the circumstances didn't change, but his faith did. His faith revealed a sustained trust. Have you ever noticed that God just kind of fixes in our life a pain and a promise at the same time, a pain and a promise, and he allows the pain to play out over a long period of time. I mean, I mean, Abram is a great example. Remember Abram, his name, exalted father. That's, that's his name. That was what he was named as a kid. So could you imagine the expectations he brought into life? I mean, as a child, I'm sure that was a source of of pride for him. I am Abram. I'm exalted father. That was a a proclamation of a prodigious future for him. This is a dude who expected to have tons of kids, strapping boys and, and dainty girls or whatever, and huge family is what I mean. And Abraham takes a bride, and they start their life together, and the kids don't come. Week in, 
week on, month in, month out, kids don't come. Facebook profile reads, exalted father, still no kids, kids don't come. I mean, we can't be in this space right now without recognizing that there are undoubtedly some here who can relate to the, the, the pain, the disappointment, the, the, the monthly demoralizing morass from wanting but not having children. You understand what it's like to attend the family events and have the inquiries come once again to celebrate Mother's Day with other people but not be a mom or a father, to have new moms brimming with excitement and you want to enter into that, but you know that experience. The kids don't come. It's such a, I mean, it's so powerful. Eventually for Sarah, eventually it would become so bad, Sarah pushes him into the arms of another woman, perhaps even out of the bitterness of wanting to see Who's really at fault here? In other words, let's see who lacks life here. You go to her, and let's see if you can produce. Oh, sure, they had a promise, but it took 25 years. In fact, toward the end, all he had was Ishmael. In fact, God changes his name from Abraham, Abram, father, exalted father, to Abraham, father of a multitude. He's being upgraded in his name, and all he has is the son of a slave and a promise. But somehow the work of God in these circumstances of barrenness created a confidence and a faith so deep that he was ultimately willing to sacrifice the child Isaac that was given to him, foreshadowing another child that would be, another son that would be sacrificed in Christ because of the work that God had done. And, and let's be honest with one another this morning. You know, the issue here is not just the passing of time. Because what I'm not trying to say is, is, hey, just wait long enough and God will deliver all your dreams. God will ultimately tie a bow. You're going to get closure on that thing, that situation. Because some of us have been around long enough to know that sometimes waiting is not enough. Sometimes the resolution doesn't come. Sometimes a prayer remains unanswered because we define for God how our stories are supposed to go. I hardly know how to tell you how real this is for me. About a year and a half ago, we lost our youngest daughter, who at the time was 24. Multi-year struggle with addiction, 
that took us into parts of this broken world which never in a thousand years did I ever dream I would inhabit. Dark places with desperate people became familiar. And we fought and prayed to get her out. And now she's gone. And each morning, I wake up greeting her son, Jace, who's now been entrusted to us to raise. And, and here's the thing. Here's my challenge, is that Romans 4 was the passage that I preached to myself during those years. I, I whispered it to myself in the middle of sleepless nights. So here's a question I want to invite you into. Let, let me bring you into my brain for a second. What do I tell myself when I have a passage and a promise and a daughter who's gone? How will we move forward without becoming angry, without becoming cynical, without being imprisoned, but what I like to think of as the captivity of closure? You know, this thing needs to close out. One of the things I discovered along the way is there's this interesting vision of faith that is described in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. I never saw it before, but, you know, after going through the catalog of heroes in, in Hebrews, it kind of, the writer of Hebrews drops this line. He says, these all died in faith. They died in faith, not having received the promise, not, not having received the things promised, not having received them. In other words, they died with unfulfilled promises. They died with unsatisfied hopes. They died with life open-ended. And yet somehow they move forward in life without God delivering on their dreams, without God answering all of their prayers. And that didn't demoralize them. That didn't marginalize them. That didn't cause them to re deconstruct their faith. And I think I'm realizing that there's just a part of my heart that's always seeking to remake earth into heaven. You know, and to take all the things that ultimately we're going we're gonna to be intensely satisfied in heaven and import them here into earth. You know, and make earth the place where all the promises are fulfilled, all the promises are satisfied. Everything should be whole if we just wait. But that's not the biblical promise. So my question for you this morning is, how are you doing? How are you doing in this season between the promise and the fulfillment? Are you patiently waiting? Or have you been out conceiving an Ishmael? You know, in Galatians chapter 4, Paul says Ishmael symbolizes the child of the flesh. In other words, those self-sufficient choices that we make where we decide 
We are not going to wait for God. We are going to take things into our own hands. God will be displaced. We'll take control of our life, and we'll move things forward. Basically, Ishmael's are conceived when impatience marries unbelief. Ishmael is the byproduct. So you can't afford it. You don't really need it, but you want it. And so you slap down a credit card and you buy it, and you've been paying for it ever since. You know, it's, it's Ishmael with interest. Or if, if I just keep ignoring the truth, if, if I just look away in the situation within our home, if I just protect the peace, if I just accommodate the anger, if I just give more room to this, this sinful, then, then, and you can fill in the blank, then our marriage will improve, then our prodigal will stabilize, then they will finally show me the love that I, I long for, but we don't see. We don't see how it deadens our soul. We don't see how it obscures the promises of God. It's, it's Ishmael at, at, at any cost. Or, or he was so close, and, and yeah, he wasn't, she wasn't a Christian, but they seem so close to becoming a Christian. They said they made a profession years ago. I know I hadn't seen a lot of fruit, but they seem to be Godward, and they're willing to go to church every once in a while, and we're walking through this relationship, and I've looked, and I've been online, and I can't find anybody, and I'm tired of waiting, and fast forward 10 years, and I've been living with this impact for the last decade. It's Ishmael with irreconcilable differences. And if we were honest, all of us, myself included, we would admit that, that, that for some, our Ishmaels stare us in the face each day, a kind of daily reminder of the fruitlessness of attempting to force God's will and not wait for God. But if that discourages you, I want you to think about this. I want you to think hard about this. Because Abraham is offered in Scripture as the one who got faith right. He is the example being held up as the one who got faith right and Ishmael is embedded in his story. In other words, Abraham is not offered as perfect to us in Scripture. He's actually offered as the one who points forward to the one who would come who was perfect and is perfect. And it's because Jesus lived that perfect life and Jesus died that substitutionary death and rose on the third day that he now has the authority and the power to redeem us from all these situations that our mind is going to in this moment. And you know what that means for us? That means that our fleshly choices, in other words, those places where we didn't trust God, those places where we didn't do it right, our fleshly choices need no longer define us. It means we don't need to spend years atoning for the mistakes that we've made or the sins that we've made. We can look to the atonement of another. And, and, and like, yeah, like Abraham our Ishmael's 
in a fallen world may live on. But here's the thing. They are, they are written into a bigger story that passes through the cross and redeems us despite the past, despite our sins, despite our mistakes and our failures and our Ishmaels. And here's, here's, here's the thing. Abraham trusted this. It's how he was able to, quote, grow strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And, and, and my prayer for you is the same prayer I have for myself. May, may we all, may God help us all to become more convinced that he is able to do what he had promised. May, may he help us to give glory to God right here, right now, not because our circumstances have changed, but because our faith has. Let's pray. Lord, we are so provoked when we see this vision of faith embodied in Abraham, and we turn to our own life and recognize where we fall short. Lord, recognize where we lack. And yet we believe you're meeting us, that you're calling us, that you're empowering us to move forward and to trust you in these circumstances that seem unchanging, these, these people that seem unalterable, this situation that seems utterly immutable, and to just trust you and to wait for you so that even though our circumstances may not change, our faith will. In Jesus' name we pray.